Okay, guys, for the past several weeks, I have been hyping my new book, Level Jumping, and telling you that it's coming out on June 1st, and a lot of you have reached out and asked for an advanced digital copy so you could take a look at the book, and then really what I'm hoping is that when it goes live, if you like the book, you'll go and get your own physical copy of it and give me an Amazon review. That is so important to new authors, and it's so important to me as a new author to get that feedback and to get that review in Amazon. It really helps out a lot. And again, guys, if you're not aware of the book, it's called Level Jumping, and it is how I took my business from doing just a little bit of business to over a million dollars in gross profits in less than 12 months. And you can too. This is not an exclusively a real estate investing book. As a matter of fact, I don't really talk about real estate investing uh techniques necessarily. A lot of the stories uh, in the book come from my own experience as a real estate investor, but this is really about how to take your business and grow it from a one-man band, from a solopreneur, from someone who's doing everything and really scaling it up responsibly and understanding what it means to scale a business from a one-man show up to a fully scaled up business. And I did it in less than a year. You can too. And everything in this book is how I did that. So if you want to go grab that advanced copy, the digital copy, you can email me at mike at juststartrealestate.com, subject line book, and I'll get that to you right away. Once the book comes out, I would love it if you'd go purchase a copy and give me a review. And that would be fantastic. So we're going to launch in just a few weeks here. It's, it launches on June 1st. And depending on when you're listening to this, it might have already launched or maybe we still have a little bit of time to go. But June 1st, you can go to Amazon, search for level jumping and find it there. All right, guys. Thanks a lot for your support. So there are a lot of things to consider right? Uh, more so than just let me, you know, uh, form an entity and, you know, find the coolest name I can and, you know, get it registered on the website, which is a lot of people think about, yeah. oh, I have this great name yeah. and I have my entity now. Now what? You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, guys, thank you for joining me here on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you turning in, choosing me. There are 10 billion podcasts in the world. I think maybe even literally that many. And uh, you tuning into this is awesome, and I appreciate it. So thank you very much. If you've never tuned in before, if this is the first time you're listening, uh, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Because, again, you have a lot of choices. Uh, if you have been listening, I always say, and you're enjoying it, and you want to show some appreciation, you can send me $10,000. That would be great. Or if you'd rather, just hop onto iTunes, give me a rating and review. That is just as valuable to me. So if you could do that, I'd appreciate it, and that would make everything okay between us. Now nah, we're okay. But if you would do that, I would appreciate it. Um, today, guys, I've got a great interview for you on a topic that uh, I don't know a lot about. I a lot of times have folks on who talk about things that I do have quite a bit of knowledge on, and we can get into some deep conversations. And that's fun, because I know the subject and I, I love talking about stuff that uh, that I have experience in. But today, I've got somebody on who's talking about something that I am so, so, so uh, behind the curve or really not that savvy with. Um, but it's a a very critical part of being a successful real estate investor is 
understanding the tax advantages available to you. And you guys clicked on this episode and maybe it just went to the next one because you were listening to the last one. Uh, but most of you, I think, clicked on it and you know what you're clicking into. So uh, you, I think you've already, you already understand the need for understanding this subject matter if you're in real estate. And if you're doing deals and, and if you have rentals and things like that, like you really need to be paying attention because the stuff talked about in this episode can save you tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in your taxes. So uh, today I have on the show Amanda Hahn, who's a CPA and an author, and as both a tax strategist and a real estate investor, uh, Amanda combines her passion for real estate investing with her expertise in tax strategies. Her goal is to help investors with tactics designed to supercharge their wealth building using entity structuring, self-directed investing, and income offset opportunities to keep more of what you make as an investor. Don't you want to keep that stuff in your pocket? She's going to show you how. Amanda's highly rated book, Tax Strategies for the Savvy Real Estate Investor, is among Amazon's best sellers. Her cutting-edge tax strategies have been featured in prominent publications, including Money Magazine, Realtor.com and allbusiness.com. Amanda has also appeared in CNBC's Smart Money Talk Radio, as well as the Bigger Pockets podcast, which is where I heard her. So, uh, Amanda is a 40 under 40 honoree by CPA Practice Advisor, showcased amongst the best and brightest talent in the accounting profession. Her firm, Keystone CPA Incorporated, was awarded a two-time winner of the Top CPA of Orange County Award by OC Metro Magazine. Uh, after having spoken to her, I can tell you she's the real deal. She's smart. You should pay attention to her. She's going to give you a lot of tips and strategies to know whether or not you're doing everything you can be doing. So without any further ado, guys, I give you Amanda Hahn. Hey Amanda, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate you taking the time and, and being on the show. It's it's uh it's very cool of you. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me here. Excited to uh, start our chat today. Exactly. Me too. Me too. Uh, and this is a subject that I am uh, woefully ignorant of. I, I really am not. I'm not someone who's going to, I told you this before we got started, I'm never going to be the guy who can challenge and push your tax knowledge. I, I'm not that guy. I, I admit that tax stuff to me is very, very... It's Greek, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of the, the looking at it. I just I don't understand it. My, I'm sure my tax guy gets a good laugh every year when he asks me questions. I don't know if you ever, if you watch The Office, but uh, oh, I love that. It's one of my favorite shows. Do you remember when when Michael said, "Okay, explain it to me like I'm eight years old," and they explained uh -huh. it to him, and he said, "Okay, now explain to me like I'm four years old." That's how I feel <laughs> about taxes. When my when my uh, CPA calls me, it's like I don't even know what you just said. Can you? act like you're talking to a child and then repeat that. So uh, that's where I am with taxes. But this is good because I, even though I don't understand it fully, I know that it's something that is important. It has an impact on your earnings, obviously, what you can keep and what you have to you know, give back to the government at the end of the year. Um, so I want to get into it. And let's start off, though, if we can, let's talk about your background a little bit more. How did you get involved in, in this world? And not necessarily just like taxes and things, but like the whole real estate specialty, that niche that you're, that you serve? Yeah. Yeah. You know, my grandparents were investors uh, in real estate. My parents invest in real estate, but they just taught me to take the traditional route, you know, which is 
get a good education, go into a college, and then get a yeah. good job, which is what I did. Um, so I started my career as a CPA at Deloitte, uh, which is one of the big four accounting firms. And just sure. by chance, I ended up in the real estate uh, specialty group. So, um, you know, back then it was just, you know, just kind of part of the job of, of what I did. And then I started working with, uh, some of the, the tax returns for the investors themselves that were, you know, the rentals flow up to. And that's when I started to realize that, you know, it's seemingly strange that these people make so much money yet they don't pay much in taxes. And here I was, um, you know, working a lot of overtime, uh, making kind of a, you know, a decent W2 amount <laughs> and paying a lot yeah. more in taxes than some of my very you know, wealthy clients. Uh, yeah. so that's kind of how I first, you know, realized like, you know, going to school, getting my CPA license, even working public accounting for the first couple of years, I never put the two to two together that real estate saves taxes is kind of just like, oh, filling out the forms, you know, yeah. um, you know, clocking in and out. And so that's kind of how um, I learned about the tax strategies for real estate and decided to do that myself on a much smaller scale, you know, than, than okay. my clients at the time. So uh, this is maybe a kind of a weird question, but on a scale of one to 10, when you take on a new client, or I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. if you're taking on clients, but like it, when you when you do do that, when you first start working with an investor, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being they completely understand the advantages available to them, and one being they have no clue, like they're mm-hmm. so not taking advantage of what they could. Where do people, mm-hmm. most people fall on that scale? <laughs> most people fall, okay, one to 10... I would say most people maybe around three. Okay. Uh, we do have some clients maybe, you know, higher, like in the six, seven range. Um, but very few clients know all of the tax strategies for real estate. Okay. I think a lot of people are like you, who, like you said, you know, explain it to me again, because I don't really know what you're, you know, what you're, what are you asking me for? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that conversation. I've been there a couple of times. Like they'll, they'll ask me and I'll go, I literally don't even know what you want me to say. I don't even know what you just said. Like, can you do that right. again? So yeah, I'm frustrating. So a three out of 10, like, I mean, honestly, you know, like we're not naming names, but that's like, really, really uninformed, right? That's, there's a lot that they're missing out on. And um, so so I guess the next question is, and I think I know seven out of 10 times, you can tell people and help them in ways they didn't even know they, they could be helped. Like they didn't even know it was available to them. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah. And it's not anyone's fault. It's sure. just, you know, by design, the, our tax code is written in such a convoluted matter, you know, and I would say, you know, we said, okay, well, maybe three out of 10 people don't really understand the tax savings. You know, maybe there's even two to three out of 10 CPAs who don't understand the tax strategies specific for real estate. You know, for myself, for example, we don't deal with clients in the manufacturing space. So I'm one of those, you know, two out on the scale of knowledge. I'm maybe a two when it comes to manufacturing tax strategies. So even within the tax world, within CPAs, you know, not don't assume that just because you're working with a CPA, they understand tax strategies for real estate. Uh, And in fact, we have a handful of clients who are CPAs themselves. Um, but wow. they don't specialize in real estate in their yeah. practice. So we help consult with specific transactions and things like that. Are CPA clients a bigger pain in the butt than regular clients? 
No, I love CPA. Do yeah. Okay. I would yeah. think that they would constantly be second guessing and needing to know everything. Like, I, I mean, a client like yeah. me, although I'm a slight nightmare when you ask me for things, I'm a dream when it comes to not second guessing or looking over your shoulder because I don't know what I'm looking at. So you just tell me what has to happen and I will make it happen. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, I, yeah, that could be the case with some, but fortunately for us, most of our clients are um, are not, uh, you know, are not that way. Because, you know, I think it's just a, um, it's just kind of the realization, right? Why do you go to someone else? Well, because yeah. you you feel like they know more than you. Sure. So, but I do hear that from physicians. So my stepfather is the physician. Uh, sometimes when we go to the doctors, <laughs> we take him along because he knows what to ask. And you yeah. can you can see that the doctors are like, oh, you're a doctor too, because yeah. <laughs> yeah. you're asking me very specific right. questions. You know, <laughs> definitely make them work harder. So what what exactly here you go I'll I'll, I'll kind of demonstrate my my vast real estate knowledge or uh, tax knowledge I should say. Um so what happened this year with tax the due date? Like it is in April 15th, correct? Obviously. Correct. So, so what, the CARES that? Act that came out uh, as part of the coronavirus, you know, relief package, if you will, um, for IRS purposes, extended the deadline from April 15th to, to July 15th. Yep. Um, and that's considered automatic. So meaning you didn't have to file any forms. You didn't have to pay anything you would have had to pay by April. Naturally, everything is just now pushed to July 15th. But July 15th is coming up, right? Yes. So I know at the time everyone's like, oh, we have plenty of time. Uh, but, you know, now we're emailing clients saying, hey, well, you know, now is, uh, you know, almost time for we got to start looking ahead to July, right? If there's yep. taxes due, if there's things that need to uh, be done to file tax returns if you don't want to do extensions. Right. Um, so so, so that's the, gov the federal government's deadline. Most, if not all states have followed, thankfully. Um, so regardless of, you know, what state you live in, um, actually, if you want to do a Google search, AICPA uh, state tax as the keyword, um, AICPA has a PDF that they update uh, frequently uh, regarding any other taxes, as well as all the states that, you know, are updating as well. Okay, cool. So <clears throat> for someone who's, you know, has a large rental portfolio, for example, um, mm -hmm. I think it's pretty pretty obvious that they they probably have some options and some things that they can take advantage of. What about the smaller investor? Like at what point mm -hmm. does someone have a business where it might make sense for them to really make sure that they're working with a CPA that has a, a good knowledge of real estate tax? Like when does, is it first property they buy? Is it, should you wait until you've done a few deals? How, how does that normally work? Yeah, good question. And it really depends um, actually on what the plan is for the investor. Okay, so there's a, I think there's a misconception that maybe I only need to work with the CPA or I need to have an attorney when I have X number of rentals or X dollar amount of rentals. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. You know, we have clients who are just starting out who are buying their first rental property. But if it's someone who's aggressive and say, okay, I just made my offer on the first one, by the end of this year, um, I might own three rentals and do one or two flips. Okay, that's a great candidate for proactive tax planning because there are a lot of things that could be done to save on taxes. I have clients who tell me, you know, my parents own real estate for many, many years. They're interested in tax planning and I always wanna know, well, what are they gonna be doing 
for the next five years. Um, if all they're doing is going to just hold on to the properties that they've had for the last 30 years, they're not looking to sell. They're not looking to pull money out. Uh, then maybe even if they have a large portfolio, there might be very few things that could be done because they're not looking at any more transactions. So I think it's more transaction focus rather than number of rentals uh, in terms of you know who could benefit from tax planning. Okay. So- going back to that that newer investor, let's just say we have someone mm-hmm. listening to this right now and they're like, I really want to get into real estate. I'm going to start this year. Maybe you won't get a lot done this year. Maybe you'll do one or two flips or something. Uh, but they want to to form an entity. Mm-hmm. And I know you have specific, you know, very much uh, dialed into this, this world. It, my experience, and I'll throw myself into this um, category as well. My experience is people just form an LLC, they go to the state website. In Michigan, it's it's shockingly simple and cheap. So it's like they don't even go to a, a lawyer or anybody. They just go form the LLC, and that's the end of it. It's an LLC, and that's all you have to do, right? How how what advice do you have for, for people who are getting ready to get into that world and they're going to really go for it? Like what what kind of an entity mm-hmm. should they be forming? Well, I would say uh, before you form any entities, talk to your tax advisor, talk to your attorney, because LLC may or may not be the best legal entity for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you're someone who's holding rental properties, you're going to be a landlord, um, then yes, generally LLC should be sufficient. But the question becomes who should own the LLC? You, you and your spouse, just your spouse, your living trust. Um, so those are questions to, to plan ahead for with your tax and legal team. If you're someone who's more uh, involved in active real estate transactions, like a fix and flip in your example, uh, generally that's a whole different entity, right? So it could be an LLC. We could recommend a corporation. That's going to depend on how much money you're going to be making. What kind of expenses do we have to write off right in the foreseeable future um, to then determine whether it makes sense. Now, now I know you said it's, it's shockingly cheap or affordable, let's say, right? To form a legal entity. And I think that's where people get into a little bit of trouble because the, the savings and the protection is not automatically or magically appears just because you form an entity. Right. So I often talk to clients who formed entities and say, oh, well, I formed it. My rentals are not in there. I'm still earning money in my personal name. I'm still you know, paying expenses for my personal name. Well, now at the end of the year, you have to file a tax return for the entity. You probably have state annual fees that you have to submit to the state just for having a legal entity. Yeah. So now you have all these costs associated with it but you really didn't get any protection or tax savings from the entity because you didn't really use them correctly. So I would say, you know, someone starting out before you go ahead and just go on the state website and form an entity, talk to your advisors to figure out, you know, what entity should I be forming? And once, you know, but let's say you already had it formed, right? Then the next thing though, still talk to your advisor to figure out how should I use the entities? Do I need a bank account for the entity? How do I take, how do I put money in? How do I take money out? You know, when, when do I transfer title of my rentals into the property? So there are a lot of things to consider. Right. Uh, more so than just let me, you know, uh, form an entity and, you know, find the coolest name I can and, you know, get it registered on the website, which is a lot of people think about, yeah. oh, I have this great name yeah. and I have my entity now. Now what? <laughs> I know. The funny thing I find this too, like just even as someone who's like coached new investors and things, 
people get so worked up about the name like being awesome like it like yes you know I, I always say Google is probably the stupidest name like out of the box seemed probably <laughs> dumb to everybody so like the name doesn't really matter that much but um yeah it's a really good point and I think real estate investors probably entrepreneurs in general but I'm in the real estate world so I, I'm I have ex exposure to a lot of those types of folks are a lot of times insanely not detail oriented. So what ends up happening, what I find with people, and I'm sure that this is a nightmare for you, is they start commingling funds with personal bank accounts. And I paid out of my personal account. I paid myself back with my business account or, you know, I don't really remember what account that came out. <laughs> like what? You know, like I know that's a nightmare. Yeah. So I think not, not entangling those things was one of the first lessons I had to learn for sure. Um, and my, my, you know, my, my CPA, my bookkeeper still from time to time will go, uh, what is this? And what you didn't like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. So, um, <laughs> we're not detailed, right? It's like the old shoebox with all the receipts at the end of the year is not a, not a great strategy for, for uh, keeping track of things. And I know it's more of a bookkeeping thing, but, um, so as far as the taxes go, let's talk about, this is, this is, um, something that I was exposed to about a year ago and it blew my mind. And I think, that a lot of real estate investors who have rentals or multifamily properties don't even know that it exists. And if they do know, it's a word that they can't really explain. And I'm probably in that category. And that's cost segregation when you have those types of properties. And I know that that can save you a tremendous amount of money on your tax obligations and things. But what what is cost segregation? Who does it apply to? And why should someone think about getting that done? Mm -hmm. Sure. That's a great question. So, well, first we'll take a step back, right? That one of the benefits of investing in real estate is that you get to take depreciation on a property. So if you buy a property for 120,000, let's say, and a hundred thousand was the purchase price of the building itself, you know, generally you can write off that building over 27 and a half years, uh, if it's residential, right? So you take one 27th uh, of write-off of that $100,000 every single year. And what we love about that is it's a tax deduction on the purchase price, regardless of, you know, how much down payment you put in or no down payment, that part doesn't matter. Right. So there's not a lot of investments out there that allow for this kind of depreciation, which is what, why, you know, real estate is so great. So cost segregation is kind of just the next level of that and it's saying, okay, well, so Mike bought a building for $100,000, but instead of just taking 127th of that as a depreciation, let's really define what is within this building. So it's not just a building of 100,000, but that building is actually made up of $10,000 worth of flooring, $20,000 worth of cabinets, $5,000 worth of fixtures. And um, when you go through and break out the components of that building, Building, what happens in the tax world is each component then could be eligible for faster depreciation. So for example, if we said, well, there's $20,000 worth of fixtures in this building, that $20,000 could be an immediate deduction this year in 2020, instead of having to take, you know, one twenty-seventh of that every single year. Um, so it's essentially the strategy allows you to take a higher deduction upfront rather than waiting 27 and a half years to slowly take it over time. So, um, you know, one of the common misconceptions that I hear a lot from investors is, okay, well, this is great. I've heard about it mostly for apartment owners or commercial property owners, but I just own single families. Um, does it work for me? And the answer is sure. It could work for all types of real estate. 
doesn't have to be new property, doesn't have to be the first year you've bought it. Uh, and you don't have to be a big time, you know, real estate guru to benefit. Um, but the key though, before you decide to do a cost segregation, you need to talk with your tax advisor and find out if it will benefit you. So, so, so is it available to everyone? Yes. Anyone could decide to do faster depreciation, but should you do it? The answer depends on, are you going to get a benefit from it? Right. So there's a bunch of, you know, rules in the tax world that say, okay, well, maybe you have a benefit. You can use it only to offset rental income. And if you don't need it to offset rental income, then we wouldn't look at it. On the other hand, if we said, okay, well, if all of the rental losses can offset your rental income and income from, you know, your other business and your W-2 income, then sure, that could be a really great strategy for you, even if you just own two single family residential homes. Okay. What if I own 20 houses, residential uh, uh, properties, and I bought them all five years ago? Mm-hmm. Can I, am yeah. I still eligible potentially, or it can only definitely. be on things going forward? Okay. So you can go yeah, back. Yeah, definitely. And in fact, um, you know, for a lot of our client, new clients that come to us, if you bought, you know, five property, you bought these properties five years ago and you've only taken regular depreciation. If you did a cost segregation this year, the tax write-off could be huge. Why? Because you are accelerating depreciation from future years. You're also taking catch-up depreciation. Oh. So going back every single one of those five years, what you can do is the, the deduction is recalculated as if you had been accelerating for five years. Wow. So oftentimes that gets you a very large tax deduction. Okay. So you kind of touched on it, but just because uh, go back to the Michael Scott in the spirit of now say it like I'm a four-year-old. Um, <laughs> what would be a, what would be a, a I, I'm sure there's a lot of nuances and details involved, but at, at a very 10,000 foot view, why would someone not do this? It sounds like it's a no, no lose situation. Yeah, yeah, great question. You know, and in the tax world, there's there's not a, a ever a one size fits all. Okay, so yes, we said that it was a great strategy, um, but it doesn't apply to everyone. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you're someone who has a full time job, right? Both husband and wife have a full have full time jobs, and you make over one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year at your W two job. And let's say you have rental income and you have a bunch of you know expenses and and, and regular depreciation. And with regular depreciation, you've already wiped out the taxable income on your rentals. So we're already paying no tax on rental income. In that scenario, if I created a loss on my rental properties, I don't get to use that loss to wipe out taxes from my W-2 income. Oh, okay? okay. And the reason for that is because I have we both have full-time W-2 jobs. I can't claim to be a real estate professional. So my rental losses only offset rental income. And in that scenario, I don't need any more rental losses. I've already wiped it out to zero. Gotcha. So for that person, although you can accelerate depreciation, but we generally don't recommend it. Why? Because you're creating a faster deduction, which you don't really need at this right. time. But let's say that you know for, for this same taxpayer, uh, next year, uh, one of them stops working, right? Because you have 20 rentals, maybe your spouse decides to stop working and do real estate full time. Well, guess what? Now that one person is doing real estate as their primary job, 
if they do a cost segregation that year, now they can use all the rental losses to wipe out the other spouse's W-2 income and all types of income. There's no more limitation. So one person can still be a W-2 per, uh, employee, but you can still wipe out theirs if you if one of you right. is a is a full-time. Okay, gotcha. Exactly. Only one person needs to be a real estate professional. Both spouses get the benefit of having income wiped out. Gotcha. What about people who don't do flips? How I'm sorry, don't do rentals. House flippers mm -hmm. and wholesalers. Are there are there significant tax advantages? Is there things that they could take advantage of? Yeah, I mean, there's always things they can take advantage of, but you know, just keep in mind whenever you we talk about real estate tax strategies, right? Traditionally, what we're talking about is rental real estate. Okay. Single, multifamily, commercial, um, and because in the rental space, you know, we, we have depreciation, we have um, cost segregation. We just talked about right. And when you sell your properties, you get long-term capital gains. So you can do a ten thirty-one exchange. So There's all these key, you know, people always talk about these tax benefits, and all of those apply to rental properties, and they don't apply to active real estate like flips and wholesale and things like that. Gotcha. So that's a key distinction, and you know. Sometimes I have clients, you know, that all they do is flip and they say, Hey, Amanda, I want to do a cost segregation. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't help you because when you flip, you don't own the property anymore, right? Once you sell it, it's gone. It's the buyer's property. So what are we going to depreciate? Right. Not depreciate anything. It's already gone. Um, but having said that, you know, practically speaking, most of our clients who flip also on rentals too, right? You know, just so happens they might end up holding a couple of them or just have a couple in the portfolio. So um, certainly could make sense to use rental losses to offset flip profit yep. um, or wholesale profit. So that's certainly something that could be done. But outside of that, you know, flip and wholesale income is treated just like any other ordinary income, um, flipping burgers, right? Opening a Subway sandwich, those are all regular income. So yep. some of the more traditional strategies like having it in the right legal entity to reduce the self-employment tax or um, funding retirement accounts, maximizing write-offs. Um, those are all still really great strategies for flips and wholesales. Flipping burgers, not nearly the upside of flipping houses, probably a little bit, little, little different uh, ceiling on those two deals. Um, so how, if I'm listening to this and I go, oh my God, this is so exciting. I have rentals and I don't even know what cost segregation is. Like maybe my CPA isn't the right CPA for me. Is there anything... Is there, how do I know? Like, how do I, as a regular person, know if I'm being, if my my tax uh, situation is being evaluated properly? Yeah, and that you know that's a difficult one um, because you you kind of rely on your advisors yeah. to tell you you know what you should do. Um, you know, sometimes we we unfortunately come across clients who've owned rentals for years and years, decades. Uh, to then find out they've never taken depreciation, right? Don't even talk about COSEC, but just a regular depreciation. Yeah. Um, and you wonder, how is that possible? So, you know, we go back to earlier, we talked about, hey, you know, you're, you, maybe you're not the only one who doesn't understand real estate tax. Maybe there are CPAs who don't really understand it. So um, the, I think one of the easiest things that you can do is to open your tax return, right? Last year's return, if you have a copy of it or it's in PDF. Um, if you own rental properties in your personal name or, you know, one person LLC, generally it's reported on Schedule E. And what you can open up to the Schedule E page and look, there's a line called depreciation. Make sure there's a number on there right? For each property. If there's okay. not, then that's your, 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 your sign of a problem. Okay. Yeah. I, I do come across new clients who say, Hey, I heard you say that on a podcast. I didn't see any numbers. That's why I'm calling you. So that's something very, very easy to do. 
Um, the other stuff is a little bit tougher. I think if you find yourself explaining your transactions to your CPA, um, those are probably a good sign. They, you know, maybe they don't specialize, you know, you have to talk about seller financing. What does that mean? Um, if you are the one that's having to bring the strategies to your CPA, you know, Hey, I heard about cost segregation. If they don't know what you're talking about, that's probably a good sign to look elsewhere. You don't want to be their teacher basically. Yeah, exactly. I guess in in the, in the, uh, analogy that you used earlier, like if you're explaining what your condition could mean to your doctor and they don't seem to understand, (laughs) like that's a, that's a problem. Same thing with a CPA. That's a great tip though. Opening up the schedule E and looking under the, the depreciation line. If you have rentals and there's no number there, that's a great, um, that's a really, really good, I'm going to actually do that. I'm sure that I am. Listen, if my CPA is listening, I know you're doing a good job, uh, but I'm going to look anyway. So yeah, it is a tough thing. I, I always tell people like like I don't know how to fix cars, so I don't know how to evaluate my mechanic. I, I don't I don't know what he's doing under there, so I don't really know how to uh, evaluate whether or not he's doing a good job. But I think just having a discussion yeah. and asking them questions, I always find if you just start asking a lot of questions, you can get a sense if the person is sort of out of their element or if they really really know what they're talking about. I think they can a lot, a lot of times ease your fears, um, which is huge. So you mentioned someone having rentals for decades, like with it, just going back to a cost seg for a second, because I I always heard cost segregations, you could only go back a certain distance. Can you go back as far as you want? I mean, I guess if you've owned it for 26 and a half years, there's not gonna be a lot there. But, um, but you can you go back as far as you want to go on those? Yeah, yeah, you can go back as far as you want. But you're exactly right. You know, if we can depreciate over 27 years, I'm in year 20 or 25 or 26, odds are there's not going to be a whole lot of benefit. But in my example, we had a client that was actually referred to us from a lender. So a lender was looking at her uh, tax return for loan approval and noticed there was nothing on depreciation. And so he said, you need to call Amanda, have her look <laughs> at this. I think something is very wrong. So it's someone who owned it, not, you know, not like 20 some years, but over 15 years, never took depreciation. So that was a great candidate to do cost segregation, even though she owned it for so long. Why? Well, cause she never took any depreciation right. at all. Wow. Right. So those are anomaly cases, but yes, it's, you can go, um, as far, you know, as far back as you want, but, um, the, 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 you know, for most people, um, earlier in the years, the better, right? So the first five, seven years generally get better deduction through COSEG than year, you know, 18, 19 and 40. Sure. And if you do that, and let's just say you own the rental with a partner or partners, do they just do mm-hmm. the COSEG and just split it equally between everybody or? Yeah. What a great question. So it depends on how you own the real estate with the partners. Um, if you guys are just doing, you know, tenant in common where I own 50%, you own 50%, then each person decides on their own if they want to do a cost seg or not. So oh. I'll cost seg 50% of mine, you might do it or don't do it up to you. But if you and I own it in a legal entity, you know, a partnership or an LLC, then the decision is made at the entity level. So meaning our LLC will either decide to do the cost seg or not to do the cost seg. And if it's done, we both get a K1 that shows the accelerate depreciation. Okay. So th- this is turning into the cost segregation uh, hour here, but I'm just fascinated. <laughs> it's such a, an awesome strategy that I just didn't know anything about for so long. If you if that's something that might make sense for you, is that something that the CPA uh, facilitates or do they just say, hey, that looks like it'd be a great idea for you and you have to go out and have this done on your own? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So generally, it's going to be the CPA who tells you that it will be beneficial, right? So for us, you know, we have clients who say, hey, I hear you talk about it. It's so great. I always tell them, don't worry. When it's when it could be beneficial is when we'll let you know, okay? Because you, rather than you memorizing the rules of <laughs> when it's going to be good. Sure. Um, so typically, I'll say, for example, I'll say, hey, Mike, you have, uh, you know, this year you're claiming real estate professional or you got a lot of income. Um, do you want to consider a cost seg? And if you say, yes, then we facilitate the first step, which is a cost benefit analysis. And what that means is we'll send out the necessary information to a, an actual cost segregation firm. They'll do a preliminary estimate to say, okay, for this property, here's what we think the, the components will be for the second property. Here's what we think it'll be. And then we will then calculate the tax savings on that. So okay. we can say, Hey Mike, uh, you know, you hear you, you own 20 rent, let's say you own five rentals. It'll cost you about $6,000, the cost seg, but then it'll save you $40,000 in taxes this year. Then you decide, do I want to do it? Do I not want to do it? Right. So like with everything, it's, we look at it from a cost benefit perspective. Um, You know, it could be, Hey, it's going to cost you 10,000 to save 11,000. Maybe we just all decide that's too much work for a thousand dollars. Yeah. So you, okay. So you answered another question. Mine, it does cost for the, the, um, uh, the analysis to see if it makes sense or what, what the savings could be. Is there like a number, like a, let's just say I have, single family homes, residential mm-hmm. single family homes. Is there like a cost per house that's an average or is it just like, nah, it's all over the board. You can't really do it that way. Yeah. I mean, it's all over the board depending on which cost segregation firm you use, okay. you know, what their methodology is, how many rentals, how spread out your rental properties are. Um, but for us internally, you know, we consider getting a cost benefit done when a taxpayer has at least $500,000 worth of depreciable basis. Okay. So anytime above that, you know, if you have over $500,000 of cost basis for building um, and you can use the, the depreciation, right? If we were to create something, yep. you're able to benefit from it this year, uh, that's when we look at the analysis to see, okay, does it make sense cost benefit wise to gotcha. go to step two? Okay. You've mentioned a couple times that people coming to you for different reasons, they hear you on podcasts or whatever, are just out of, because I'm, I know how people think when they listen to this, like they listen to you, you're an expert. They go, wow, she really knows what she's talking about. I want her to do it. Like, do you still take clients or not anymore? Like where are you at with accepting clients? How does that work? Yeah. So yeah, we do accept clients, you know, we accept clients throughout the year. Um, However, we do cap the number of clients we accept every month, um, just so we're not inundated and and not able to service existing. So yeah, at any given time, you know, contact the office, generally, we're taking clients, but sometimes um, we might say, okay, we're full for this month. If you can wait till next month, we can still start, you know, schedule for next month. So certainly. Um, One thing that's different about our firm, though, is we specialize in the proactive tax planning. So I I know um, many CPA firms specialize in tax filing, right? You know, how much does it cost to do my return? Yep. Um, and our focus is really on the go forward planning because right now, if you're just looking to file 2019 tax returns, there's not a whole lot of planning that could be done. So sure. whether you have us file it or, you know, someone else do it, the result should be fairly similar, right? Outside of cost segregation, of course, because you can still do that for last year. But for a lot of these bigger strategies, um, it, you know, might be too little too late. So, but the focus, you know, for now, if you started uh, working with us now, as an example, we're going to be looking at 2020. What have you done? Are you taking, are you taking advantage of the coronavirus, you know, tax relief? 
you know, should we look at COSEC for 2020 and beyond entity sure. structuring going forward? So um, a little bit different than, you know, just focusing on the tax compliance. Right. Do you ever, I'm just thinking as you're talking, because these are coming to me, you, you, you focus on proactive tax strategies. Do Does anybody ever come to you and say, I don't dislike my CPA, but I'm not sure that they're really as a, as proactive as I'd like them to be. Can you take a look and give me some suggestions? And they don't have you file taxes for them, don't have you do that work, but they just have you do some tax planning? Yeah, yeah. We have a lot of clients that come to us just for the planning. And, you know, after we do a year's worth of planning, uh, usually we'll give them our recommendation in terms of who to best file the return. So we have clients who can get the, a local CPA to follow returns from much cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, and if we review the return, everything looks good. We'll say, Hey, this is great. You know, you continue to have them do it. Uh, maybe they might just need help with a cost sec, how to show it on the return or, you know, something very specific. Um, then we can help with that specific issue on the return. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, I do have clients. Sometimes I review return. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry, that's really terrible. You should not have that person do it again. Um, I don't care if it's me, but you're going to have someone else do the return because right. of X, Y, Z reason. Right? Yeah. So it's all over the place, but we have clients all over the U.S. Uh, and we tell clients that too, you know, I may or may not be the best person to file the return based on what you end up implementing during this year. If we say, okay, everything's great, but I think you need an entity, you need this, you need that, and their CPA is very well-versed in those things, um, then certainly could make sense. And we have people sure. whose uh, tax preparers, their father-in-law. So sometimes you can't fire your father-in-law. You just have yeah. to have them keep filing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, not if it's costing me a lot of money, I don't. Um, that's funny. <laughs> well, theoretically, it's free, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, cost and what I'm not having. You mean in tax. Yeah, yeah. taxes, exactly. <laughs> um, so do you work directly with a, another person's CPA in that case where it's like, hey, I just got to, there's some things that we need to help them get on board with and you'll just work directly with them or does, it, does the investor have to be the go-between? Yeah, that's such a great question. You know, we're always open. So when, when we have a planning client, we look at their personal investment, you know, uh, retirement, we look at the whole situation and we put together a plan for them. Sometimes it involves talking with a CPA based on how they did last year's return. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it involves talking with their attorney you know, on entity formation or their estate attorney on how we think their trust should be set up or what, you know, what happened in the past. Yep. So yeah, we always recommend this team of advisor approach where we're all working together because um, it's much easier to take the client out of the conversation to yeah. play telephones. Amanda said this, sure. but the attorney said that. Right. Oh, wait, but did Amanda really say this? You right. know, and so it, it gets very confusing. Um, so that's an ideal world, right? One happy blended family. Not always the case. You know, we have sometimes we'll tell a client like, hey, okay, well, I think, you know, you can certainly write off your home office. You can, you know, you went out to uh, Florida and, and looked at real estate, you can write it off. But, you know, their local CPA who might be signing on the return might say, no, I don't like home office. I'm not comfortable claiming yeah. it. Um, so it's sense. kind of up to them if they're open to having a conversation with us. Um, but we can never force them, you know, without, sure. I'm comfortable taking it. But if, if, if your CPA who's signing the return says no, then you have to make a decision because you can't force them to sure. sign on something they, they're, they're not comfortable Absolutely. with. Absolutely. I bring up a great point. And I, I'm just going to ask you and you can, I don't know if maybe it's, maybe it's a tough thing to answer, but would you consider yourself to be uh, aggressive in that, in that stance or are you more conservative? Like where do you mm -hmm. tend to fall on that scale? Cause I've had this conversation with CPAs, right? Where, the, where mm -hmm. they've basically told me, I'll be as aggressive as you want me to be. Like, if you're not comfortable, just tell me, but if you are comfortable, 
then we we can push the letter of the law a little bit and stay you know obviously everyone nobody's nobody's going to do anything that's blatantly stupid but like we'll mm -hmm. push it to to a point that you're comfortable like how do you mm -hmm. typically handle cuz i would be willing to bet Real estate investors are a group of people that are risk takers and, yeah. and that people typically say, push it as far as you can. Like, I don't care. You know, like I, I would venture to guess you get that from some people. So how do you typically handle that aggressive, you know, investor? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, you're exactly right. You know, most investors are uh, creative uh, and also risk takers. So I get some really good questions from my clients. You know, sometimes they'll ask me something and say, no, I don't think it'll work. And they'll say, well, what about this or what about that? Right. So yeah. uh, I love working with investors from that perspective because everyone's so creative in their thinking. You know, for me personally, I'm a little bit more on the aggressive side. Uh, for my own tax returns, right? So when I'm doing my own returns, uh, I'm, I think I was more aggressive than conservative. But you're exactly right. I think I, I, I probably am take the same position as the CPA you just described in, in that the position I take on any tax return is going to be the comfort level of that client. Yeah. So it's kind of getting to know a client, figure out where, where they lie in that risk tolerance level. Um, but having said that, we rarely have scenarios where we have to make that decision you know generally it's like if you know the law you understand how to utilize it um then it's not really considered aggressive uh, aggressive things might be sometimes i talk like okay well i haven't really seen this done yeah. um personally but in court cases sometimes it's allowed sometimes it's not and so that's where the client will have to decide right okay if i sure. take it it probably won't be audited should be okay or, but if you are, it could be disallowed. And are you okay with that? Because right. that could result in penalties and things like that. In any case, we always try our best to try to protect the client if there's audit. Um, but I do, you know, I had, I talked to a client the other day who said, you know, I don't want to take the deduction. I don't have my receipt. And I said, it's okay. You don't have to have a receipt, but you can show that the work was done, right? Mm -hmm. You clearly did this rehab and um, you, you can show money coming out. There's no receipt, but you can show it. And they're like, no, I just, no, I just would really not want to do it. Um, so, you know, you have kind of the other extreme people right. who are like, well, I don't have a receipt, so I don't want to take it. Even yeah. though I know I can, but I just don't want to. Yeah. I don't even, I can't relate to that person. I have no idea what they're thinking. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I said this a couple of them, like, are you sure? Because you can take it. We can prove it. Mm, yeah. No, let's just forget it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, you know, everyone's different. So that's, that's the thing. So how, this is maybe a weird question too, but these things pop into my head. How far back have you gone or should a person even think about going back in their tax filing mm -hmm. history to see if they really had a CPA that just didn't know what was didn't know what was going on. Like how yeah. far back would you even suggest someone go to look at maybe taking additional whatever? Yeah, I mean, the answer will depend on what the error was in terms of how far we want to go back. Um, if it's like something like depreciation, right, for that that one lady, um, you can go back as far as the original property date. Now, you can't file amended returns because it's too old, but we can certainly uh, correct it in going forward and doing some sort of a catch up. Okay. Uh, but generally speaking, you have three years from the date you filed your tax return to go back and do amended. So wow. yeah, if we right now for reviewing a 2019 or 2018 return, we see something that, you know, doesn't look right, we can go back another two years to try to figure out if there's additional opportunities to, you know, get some of that income, sure. uh, the refund back. Okay. Cool. Well, I, I actually, I want to take a real hard right turn here for a minute because we're talking about taxes. It's like very strategic and, and very focused. <clears throat> but in doing a little research uh, about you before this, this interview, um, I noticed that you and Matt, 
mm-hmm. have a, a passion for animals and you founded the Animals for Armed Forces. I, I'd like to hear about that because I say this all the time on the podcast. I like talking to people that do good things, good people, and they're not just business, 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 cutthroat, like people who care. Mm-hmm. And this is something that you do. And I, I just want to give you a second to talk about it because I'm very curious about it myself. Mm-hmm. I think it's awesome that you're doing it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so, uh, so yeah, Matt and I, uh, for, uh, we founded the Animals for Armed Forces Foundation many years ago. And what we do is, uh, the, what the charity does is it helps to place uh, shelter animals for adoption with people, you know, either current or retired people from the various armed forces, so military, uh, Navy, those kinds of uh, individuals. Okay. And so a couple times a year, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, well, we reach out to shelters across the U.S. and let them know, hey, we have a program. Uh, and so what they do is they'll do local advertising and say, hey, you know, if you're part of the armed forces, come to us on Veterans Day and uh, free pet adoption, basically. And so so what uh, the foundation does, foundation will pay the shelter for adoption fee uh, shots and things like that. And, um, you know, before we used to donate money to the animal shelters and then we're just like, well, I don't know if that's really getting the shelter animals yeah. a home, right, yeah. with owners and families. Yep. So we thought, well, let's find, you know, help a way to get them to that ultimate destination. So, you know, it's very rewarding. We love getting pictures of some of these, uh, you know, animals in, in their new homes with uh, kids and, you know, sometimes deployed parents who come back. So uh, uh, it's been a lot of fun for us. That's awesome very cool very 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 awesome effort i think it's it's really good i I think it's awesome i just like people to understand you're not only super duper smart about taxes you're also a good person so that's uh (laughs) that's always a nice balance i want to mention too that you have a book on amazon uh the book on advanced tax strategies cracking the code for savvy real estate investors I don't know when this got published. I'm looking. How long ago did you publish this book? Uh, this one just came out in March. Okay. Uh, early March or end of February, I want to say. Okay. Did, do you have other books or is this is this the book? Yeah, this is the new book. So okay. our, our first book is called uh, Tax Strategies for the Savvy Real Estate Investor. Oh, and that's okay. book one. So the one that you're, the advanced, advanced. one is actually book two. Oh. Yeah, so the Tax Strategies for the Savvy Real Estate Investor, you can also find that on Amazon. Nice. And um, so, yeah, I mean, what we did was, you know, instead of, if you've read a tax book, which I don't know if you have because you say you don't like taxes very much. <laughs> it's, it's I don't like them. <laughs> I think I'm too dumb. That's the problem. I like them. There's nothing wrong with them. I just don't understand them. <laughs> so, so you should read the first book if okay. you, um, because what you know, what happened was Matt and I, um, you know, because I mean, because we 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 love taxes uh, and real estate. So we read a lot of books about tax strategies for real estate. And what happened was uh, we realized those books were so boring for us as CPAs, a lot of code sections and calculations. Mm -hmm. um, And then we're falling asleep and we thought, you know, how is a non-CPA supposed to read this and get any kind of benefit if it can't really hold our attention? And so we, we set out to write our first, the first tax strategies for savvy real estate investor book. And it's in the format of like the chicken soup for the soul okay, yeah. where every chapter is a story format. Okay. Um, so it's story after story after story about 
client examples of how they were able to use one strategy versus another one. And, and um, you know, sometimes the story was how uh, they saved taxes. Others was about how they messed up and uh, <laughs> ended up paying a lot of taxes. I mean, that's um, awesome. You just nailed it. Like I, I would absolutely have a hard time getting through a tax strategy strategy book that's a lot of code and calculations, but um, a, a book written from a you know, trying to appeal or talk to someone who doesn't understand taxes going into it. Like that's a different story. Like I, I like money and I like saving money and I like being smart with my money. So that, that sounds like it's right up my alley actually, because it's always, it's one of those things where it's so important to my business and I have no knowledge of it. And that's kind of scary. Actually, I, I'm a little bit of a control freak, so I don't like not knowing. I just don't know. So that might be the, that might be the right approach for me is, is buying that book. So I will, I will grab that actually. That's that. Thank you for that. I appreciate you telling me that it's, it's for basically dummies. So yes. <laughs> I mean, that's the style, right? That's the format. Like tax, yeah. tax well, yeah. No, we, we like to say it's a storybook, right? Okay. It's a storybook, but the moral of the lesson is, is, is tax based. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I highly recommend, you know, we we'll start with the first one. Um, the second one is a little bit more advanced, but yeah, the, the, you know, the first one has a lot of great stories that, you know, for, for kind of more beginners to, to see. Cause you know, I think at the end of the day, our goal in writing the books is to just to show people what can be done, how can these things be used to save on taxes? So you can have a conversation yeah. with your CPA and say, Hey, what about this? Or what about that? The goal was not for you to become a CPA. You can't use that book to do your own tax returns. We don't talk yeah. about this added to this and this divided by that or you know, sure, <laughs> any of the sure. forms. So um, it's just more of like, Hey, here's the things I should talk to my CPA about. I didn't know this person used this to reduce their taxes or, yeah. you know, how, how do you use cost? Like what did, what happened to that guy's tax bill that went down to zero? Yeah, right? exactly. That's awesome. Well, listen, I'm going to wrap it up here because you've given me a lot of your time and I really appreciate that. If you haven't uh, grabbed the book yet, it's uh, tax strategies for the savvy investor, right? Tech strategy. Yeah, savvy real estate. Savvy investor. real estate investor. Because I'm not looking at that page. Or if you're beyond that and you're just a, you're just a killer at taxes, uh, the books the book on advanced tax strategies, cracking the code for savvy investors. So that would be book number two that came out. Um, it looks like they're doing great on Amazon for the record. I mean, obviously people are loving it. So um, go and grab that. Like like she said, it's not going to make you a CPA or let you do your taxes. It'll let you have more intelligent conversations, it sounds like, with your CPA and have a little better idea of what's going on or what should be going on. Um, so that's awesome. Also, uh, you your website is uh, keystonecpa.com. Is that correct? Am I, yes. am I in the right one? Okay, good. I'm there. Um, so you can you can go there. Can they contact you that way too? Is that a good way to get a hold of you if they were interested in hiring you? If that was yeah, definitely. So on our okay. website, we have a virtual consultation. Um, oh, basically, cool. that you know, you talk to one of our client relations coordinators, and then she'll find out more about you know what you currently have going on, what kind of needs you're, you 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 might have. Um, like I said, you know, people oftentimes don't know if they need planning, and yeah. so that conversation is designed to determine uh, whether you need planning or maybe you just need to, you know, read a book to kind of get the foundation started. Yeah. 
perfect. And, and I will say from my experience, I waited too long and I was way behind. So if you think you might need help or you might need some some strategies, for sure, at least go and, and talk to them and get that consultation to see. I, I think it's not a bad thing to, to be a little early. It's never a great thing to be late to something like this. So for sure. So go, go check it out. Amanda, I really appreciate you being on. I appreciate you doing this, taking your time. We're all kind of in this pandemic and everyone's in a different headspace. So, you know, you just never know how it's affecting people and, and what, what it's doing to their personal lives. So thank you very much. Uh, I wish your family uh, health and happiness and safety and, and take care of yourself. And um, yeah, I, I just appreciate you doing it. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. All right. Thank you very much. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I am not tax savvy. I'm not a tax professional. I don't know what's going on with Texas. So I pref- I definitely uh, prefer to listen to people like Amanda. I rely on people like Amanda to help me understand and navigate those waters because I don't know. And a lot of us don't and it's okay. But it doesn't mean you put your head in the sand and you just don't try to do the best you can do for your company uh, and for your tax situations because you really, really should. And Amanda is the kind of person that I turn to uh, uh, for my taxes. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to go look at some things that she suggested that you take a look at. And if I don't see the kind of things that I would hope that I would see, I'm going to give her a call because I do believe she knows what she's talking about and she runs a a very smart operation there. So uh, go check it out. Go check out her book and go to her website. We're going to have all those links in the show notes, guys. But listen, when it comes to taxes now, I don't know if I'm going to say just start doing your own taxes, but get out there and figure it out. Just start finding that professional that can help you be put in the right situation that you're actually getting all the tax advantages that you should. So if you don't know, just start looking, start finding that professional and start with Amanda if that makes sense to you. If not, just find someone who knows what they're talking about with real estate and taxes. All right, guys, that's it for today. Make today great. We'll talk to you next time. Okay, good. You're still here. You know if you hang around long enough on my podcast and listen all the way to the end, sometimes I share things with you that you just won't hear anywhere else. So I want to talk to you about the Seven Figure Flipping Vault. Guys, this is a video library filled with everything you need to know about building a house flipping or wholesaling business. And if you already have a house flipping and wholesaling business and you think you don't need what's in this vault, Let me tell you, think again. I'm going to read you some of the titles of the videos that you get inside this vault. How to set your goals, right? Goal setting and planning. How to measure your results. How to find motivated sellers in your market. Are you kidding me? That's like probably the number one thing I get asked by all real estate investors. How do I find motivated sellers? We have a video that covers that from A to Z. How to pick a market. How to know if your market that you're in is a good market for you to be in. Is it good for you as a wholesaler? Is it good for you as a flipper? There are ways, there are things that you can do to find out if you're in the right market. How to set up a phone system to track calls and manage leads. Uh, what kind of CRM should you be using? Uh, when you talk to the homeowner, when you're meeting with sellers, getting that contract signed, how do you do that? What contracts and forms do you need? Do you need the contracts and forms? Well, they're in there, they're available to you. So that's a lot of the flipping stuff with wholesalers, uh, finding those cash buyers, 
how are you finding buyers that are going to buy the deals that you're finding when you're in the home talking to the seller? 16 hacks to build and grow your buyers list. How to pick a good market. Again, just like a house flipper, you need to know if you're in a good market as a, as a wholesaler. And the videos inside of this vault are going to give you everything. Deal analysis, finding the ARV, um, as is value and using the tools that it takes to dial those numbers in just right. Estimating the repair of, uh, or the cost of repairs when you're doing a flip, right? How do you estimate those things? How do you know? And then on top of that, when you buy this vault, when you get in there, you get a whole series on marketing, how to use list source to pull motivated seller lists, how to skip trace the information. If you need to skip tracing and get phone numbers and things like that, how to find deals without spending money, free strategies to find motivated sellers. And then there's another video, nine low cost leads, nine low cost lead source generators. And then bandit signs, uh, we talk about a little bit of that, something that works, driving for dollars, ringless voicemail, cold calling. I mean, the list goes on and on of all the ways that we show you how to market and get great deals. And if that's not enough, there's another whole series that comes with this as well about sales and negotiation. Probably the number one difficulty that people have in their business is sales and negotiation. And we walk through it in a multi-series of videos exactly how to negotiate with sellers, exactly how to negotiate with buyers. What's it look like behind the scenes of a sales meeting with our team? What do we what do we tell our salespeople when they're going out on the road to, to get those deals? Like what does that behind the scenes conversation look like? You're gonna see all of that. Guys, there are so many videos that cover every aspect of real estate investing from a wholesaler and a flipper's perspective. If I had these videos, I could have shortcut years and years off of my success track. And I've been able to be very successful, but I guarantee I wasted four or five years just trying to figure it out. You don't have to figure it out anymore. There are solutions out there, and this is one. How do you find them, you might be asking? Great question. If you go to juststartrealestate.com forward slash vault, that's juststartrealestate.com forward slash vault. It'll take you right to it. You can check out the videos. You can see what's all offered there. Guys, this is a tremendous opportunity for you to really turbocharge your business. And we're in kind of a tough time right now for real estate. House prices are, are kind of high all over the place. We have the coronavirus. It's harder and harder to get things done. You need something to help you get over this hump, and this is it, in my opinion. So go check it out, juststartrealestate.com forward slash vault. You'll be glad you did.